I'm very excited about God's word for us this morning. Very excited that you're here uh, for hopefully what the Holy Spirit is going to teach us today, how he's going to encourage us in a time where, um, very frankly, I think we need all the encouragement we can get. Amen? Um, why is it that just when you try to do the right thing, you get walked all over for it? Anybody else identify with that question? Ask yourself that question. Why is it that every time I try to do what's right, people walk all over me? It's, it's, it's not fair. Um, we've all heard the phrase, nice guys finish last. I remember how that felt. I, uh, sometimes um, when I was in high school, I felt like I was one of those guys. I was the church kid. I was the nice guy. I tried to be nice to everybody as much as I could, but um, that didn't always return exactly what I wanted as an as a adolescent. And, and I, I remember feeling that way from time to time. Last week, we talked about uh, perseverance was one of the things that we talked about and how a sign of a genuine salvation experience in a person, one of the signs we can look at our own lives or other people's lives and see a genuine salvation experience is when we see perseverance in their life. The fact that they don't uh, quickly grab onto faith and then let go of it. That hope that we talked about, that they that we hold on, that we hold on to hope, that we don't abandon the faith when things get difficult. But perseverance is a difficult thing, especially in the world that we live in today. And one of the reasons perseverance is so difficult for many people who are coming to Jesus or those people like we talked about last week who, who believe but they've not yet made that commitment to grab hold of Christ and grab hold of the gospel one of the reasons I think it's very difficult maybe for folks to do that at times is because there's a common misconception that is out there about Christianity. And that is that if you are a Christian, your life will be great and you won't have a whole lot of trouble. Now, most of us who maybe are mature in our faith know that that's not true. And we know that from experience. But folks outside the faith often have that misconception about Christianity that, that if, if, if you come to faith in Christ, then all the problems in your life go away, that Jesus just kind of wipes the slate of all your problems and that everything is going to be great. But we know that's not true. And I think there's a couple of places that that misconception comes from. It comes from Christians who don't preach the full gospel, that don't preach the entire gospel, the entirety of God's word. Um, I get really frustrated at times when I see on television um, these guys that we call prosperity gospel preachers. And, and you know who those tend to be sometimes. They're the ones who tell you if you just, if you just believe, if you just name it and claim it in Jesus' name, and if you just sow a seed financially in their ministry, that, that God will give you everything that, that you want, basically. And I've heard, I've heard those guys say before that, that all the riches of the world and all the money and all the luxury jets and, and luxury homes and all of these things, that those were meant for God's people. Well, I know quite a few of the most godly people on the planet that don't have any of those things. And I don't think it's because they've done anything wrong 
or that they've been disobedient to God. But that's, that's one source of that misconception that the Christian life is just full of blessing and no trouble. But sometimes that comes from within the church. Sometimes that comes from us. And you say, well, Eric, I've never told anybody that the Christian life is perfect and everything's great. No, you probably haven't. But how many times have you hid your struggles from people? How many times have we put on that mask of me and God are great and everything is peachy in my life? Maybe when we come to church or we go to our jobs. And, but it's really not. We're really struggling, and we're really dealing with some hard trouble in our life. But we don't let anybody else know about it. And we sing our worship songs, and we put our fish on the back of our cars, and, and, and we tell the world, hey, my life is great. I don't have any problems. Well, maybe, maybe based on that, people get that misconception. And then when they come to faith and they realize, wow, it's not easy. It's not all a bed of roses, so to say then many people decide, well, this isn't what I signed up for, and they turn away. So to persevere is important. It's an indicator of true faith, but it's, but it's difficult. And, and this idea that the Christian life is just full of bliss and harmony just simply isn't the case. Jesus never said that. People have said that. We maybe have come across that way, but that's not what Jesus said. In, in John 16... In verse 33, he says, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. In the New Living Translation, he uses that word many. It'll happen a lot. But take heart, because I have what? Overcome the world. God, that song just... Choir, y'all rocked the house today, bringing that. I have overcome the world. But there's trouble that we're going to experience in life just because it's life. Because we're human and we live in a fallen world. And there's trouble that everybody experiences, whether you're a believer or a non-believer. Bad things are going to happen. And Jesus said, understand it and know it. But there's a step further. He not only says, you're going to experience trouble because we live in a fallen world. But to the believers, he says that sometimes you're going to experience trouble because you believe in me. Sometimes life is going to be harder for you because of your faith. In the chapter before that, in John 15, in verses 20 and 21, he says, Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than the master. Since they persecuted me, naturally they will persecute you. And if they had listened to me, they would listen to you. They will do all this to you because of me. For they have rejected the one who sent me. Now this is where the whole nice guys finish last thing feeling kind of comes in. We're following after Christ. We're trying to do the right thing. But yet there are people and systems in the world who are going to come against us because of that. And that's the part that seems especially unfair. It seems sometimes that the more faithful to Jesus' teachings we try to hold, the more we get beat up by the world. And so because of that, it creates a temptation in us. You remember last week we said, the writer of Hebrews said, to hold tightly to the hope 
that we have. And because we get beat up by the world sometimes, because of how tightly we hold on to that hope, there's a temptation to loosen our grip a little bit. There's a temptation to loosen our grip, not just on the hope, but the righteousness that we try to live in our Christian life so that we can be a little less offensive to the rest of the world. Because we don't want to deal with the pain and the persecution that we get from being to hold tightly to Jesus' teachings. And so we'll loosen up a little bit because we don't want to make anybody mad. We don't want to offend anybody. And we don't want anybody to not like us. <laughs> we are, Jesus said that we are enemies of the system that rules the world. And it's always been that way. This is especially difficult for people like me because if you talk to the people who know me best, they will tell you that I'm such a people pleaser. I love, I, I can't stand it if I think somebody is mad at me or angry with me or upset at me about something and I will bend over backwards to, to make it okay so that somebody's not mad at me. And this is a temptation that, that people like me probably really struggle with even more so. To kind of let go of our grip and be like, oh, well, I don't want to make them mad. So I'm just going to kind of let loose of my faithfulness to Jesus. But the world's always been against the church. And it's always been that way. But it seems more and more the case now because the world is progressively abandoning absolute truth more and more and more. Walking away from it and making everything in the world, every truth relative Everything in the world is relative now. Everything that we call truth has become relative to the world based on other people's experiences. You determine what truth is for you based on your experience and what you think is right. So that makes it even more difficult for the church. So Jesus says that we live in this world that's going to come against us and he says you're going to have more trouble in your life than people in the world because the world's going to come against you and they're going to hate you and you're an enemy of the world. And you say, well, that's not a very hopeful message. <laughs> How do we continue then to hold fast? How do we continue to be faithful and hold tight to the, to the hope that's in us? Like Hebrews said last week, when, it, when we're, quite frankly, just treated unfairly. We see it in culture. There are things that Christians and Christianity will be bombarded and criticized for that other cultures and faiths and groups of people... Um, there seems to be so much more grace for everybody except the church, for everybody else in the world except Christians. How do, we, how do we deal with that? When our faith is at odds with the world and we suffer unfairly because of it, how do we keep going? Well, First Peter is going to give us some encouragement and some insight into that. We're going to look in chapter 3. And Peter was writing to the church, and he was writing to a group of believers who were facing severe persecution. And when I say severe persecution, I don't mean they were getting made fun of at school. I mean, their lives were on the line. They were being physically threatened and being thrown in prison because of their faith. And so he's writing this to them, and we're going to begin with chapter 3 and verses 13. We're going to look at verses 13 and 14 first. Verse 13 says, Now, who will want to harm you? If you are eager to do good. But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. 
Now look at verse 13. The very first encouragement Peter gives the church is this. Don't give up on doing the right thing. How often do we think in our minds, well, I do the right thing and it doesn't count for anything. It doesn't matter if I do the right thing or not. Peter says, no, it absolutely matters that you do the right thing. Don't give up on doing the right thing. And this is very practical advice that he gives in verse 13. This isn't super spiritual, deep kingdom stuff. This is just real life, um, real life stuff. He says, who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? He says, basically, it's harder to be mean to nice people. Right? I mean, think about that in your own life. There are certain people that, quite honestly, you can be mean to and enjoy it. Because, because you see them as mean. Or they've done things to hurt you before. But then there are certain people, maybe in your life or, or around you, that you would never even consider saying a harsh word to or being mean to or, or, or anything. You would, like, you'd be devastated at the idea of, of hurting them. Why? Because you regard them as a, as a great person. You see, you see the good that's come out of their lives, and you, you want to reciprocate that. And you would, never, you would never be mean to them. That's what Peter is saying. He's like, if you just do the right thing all the time, people may not want to hurt you as much. It just makes sense. The nicer you are and the better you are to people... Not as many people are going to come against you. Listen to 1 Thessalonians 5.15. See that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to all people. He's talking to the church, and he says, this evil for evil thing, well, you did this to me, so I'm going to do this to you. He says, don't do that. That's completely counterproductive. That's not going to get us anywhere. He says, but always try to do good to each other and to all people. He says, if somebody wrongs you or they do evil to you, guess what? Do something nice for them. Don't repay evil for evil, but repay evil with good. And not just within the church, he says, not just with each other, but to all people. Everybody. Peter says, who's going to want to hurt you? If you have a reputation for being kind and generous and gracious then you're not going to have as many enemies. Just very practical, practical stuff. Most of the time, we're going to treat people the way they treat us, right? Does that sound familiar to anybody? Treat others the way you want to be treated? You heard that when you were a kid. But sometimes, that doesn't work. Because look at verse 14. Peter says, but even if you suffer for doing what is right. He even says... Look, that's not always going to work all the time. You're going you're gonna to do your best to be kind and have, show goodness to people. But for some people, that's not going to be good enough for them. And they're still going to come against you. And they're still going to be mean. They're still going to want to harm you, no matter how good you are. So he says, but even if you suffer for doing what is right, guess what? God will reward you for it. You may not get any reward here. You may not get any recognition from anybody else. You're not going to get a pat on the back from anybody for doing the right thing. Here. But Peter says God notices. And if you're faithful in doing what's right, God will reward it. 
And he also says, don't be afraid. He says, don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Because honestly, what is it that your parents told you about the school bully? That threats are, are what? They're threats. They talk a big game. They're not going to do anything. And, and, a lot of, and a lot of bullies are like that. They just have a big mouth. And they just talk a lot. They're not going to do anything. And it's almost like Peter's saying, look, don't be afraid of their threats. Threats are threats. The world's going to threaten you. They're going to come against you. They're going to tell you what they're going to do to you if you stand up for Jesus. Don't be afraid of that. Because most people won't follow through with it. But if they do follow through, you say, well, what if they do follow through? Let me ask you this question. What's the worst thing that they can do to you? Kill you? Worst thing that can happen to you is you die. And you go, yeah. Not really looking forward to that, Eric. That's not the question I was, that's not the answer I was looking for. It's all about our perspective. What did Paul say when he was faced with death in prison, about to be executed? He says, for me, to live is Christ and to die is what? Gain. Peter's perspective, what's the worst they're going to do? Kill you? You're in the presence of the Father. You're in glory. They send you straight, straight to home. That's the worst that can happen? Peter says, don't be afraid of it. Don't be afraid of their threats. Either their threats are going to be shallow and they're not going to follow through with it, or the worst thing they can do is kill you, and then you get to be with the Father. You're good either way. So don't be afraid. Don't be scared. Death is not even that big a deal. That old gospel song, death ain't no big deal. Uh, that's, that's what that song was about. So he says, keep doing the right thing. It will either pay off here or it will pay off in eternity. But either way, either here or in eternity, God says that he will reward us. Peter says, God will reward you for being faithful to doing what's right all the time. Then look at verse 15. Verses 15 and 16. Instead, so he's talking about don't be afraid. Keep doing what's right. Instead of being scared and backing away from the truth and not standing up for Christ, he says, instead of being afraid, look at verse 15. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about the hope, about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then, if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. The opposite, what Peter says, is rather than living in fear, live in worship. But when he says live in worship, he doesn't, he's not telling you, instead of being afraid of the world and its system, come to church and sing Chris Tomlin songs. That's not what he's talking about. If you look in Romans chapter 12, listen to what Paul said. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God 
because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice. The kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. When Peter says, live your life, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. He's not talking about coming to church and singing songs. He's talking about what Paul said in Romans 12, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, a holy sacrifice. I mean, to worship is to sacrifice. And to sacrifice is to give up stuff, to give up things. Maybe it's our status. Maybe it's, our, maybe it's relationships. Maybe, maybe it's our own safety. But to sacrifice is to give up things. So he says, instead of being afraid, be willing to suffer. It's okay. Change your perspective. And then he says, right after that, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about the hope, your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Guess what happens when you make your life a living sacrifice to God? People are going to notice. And when people notice, they're gonna, somebody's going to come up and ask you, why in the world are you the way you are? Because it doesn't make sense. And Peter says, when somebody comes to you and asks you, be ready to explain it. Be ready to tell them. Give them an answer. You remember you did this when you were a kid, and all you parents in the room, you'll understand the frustration I'm about to vent. When your kids, when, when you're at home and your kids do something dumb, like just brain-dead dumb, and, and you confront them, and you get in front of them, and you say, what in the world were you thinking? Why did you do that? I don't know. What? No, there was a reason that you made the choice to do this. Why did you do this? I don't know. <laughs> I don't, you get that I don't know and that drives you nuts. You're like, no, 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 I don't know doesn't work. Don't tell me you don't know. I did it. My mom's here. I can't lie. I did it, on, I did it all the time. We all did. We do that. I don't know. I don't know. You know. Why would you stick a penny in the lot saga? I don't know. Just crazy. I don't know. I don't know. It makes me wonder how many people are out in the world and they're looking at the church and they can tell something's different. And they're asking us, why are you the way you are? And how many of us are walking around with our lives going, I don't know. Peter says, I don't know doesn't work. When someone says, what's the reason for the hope that's in you? Have an answer. Be ready to tell them. And if you don't know how to articulate it, figure it out. Ask God for wisdom. Search the scriptures. Figure out a way so that you're ready. So that somebody's, you don't want somebody to come up to you and say, tell me, tell me why you're the way you are. And you look at them and go, I don't know. Peter says, don't. You can't, we have to, you got to be able to answer them. But just as important as the 
why is the how. And he talks about that in verse 16 when he says, But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Jesus. We have to be able to explain the gospel and the hope that we have with gentleness and grace rather than with harshness and judgment. And this is also a place where too many of us have failed. Too many Christians in the world have failed in our response to people. For why is it that the hope is in you and we respond to them in judgment and harshness? And Peter says, don't, don't come across that way. Because here's the truth. Our ability to share Jesus with the world will only be as effective as our ability to make people want to hear what we have to say. Did you get that? Your effectiveness in sharing Jesus with people will only go as far as your ability to make them want to listen to you. If nobody wants to listen to you because of your harshness and rudeness and judgment, then it doesn't matter how much theological truth you can share with them about Jesus. It doesn't matter what mysteries of scriptures you can, you can enlighten them to and explain everything that there is to know about salvation. It won't matter because they won't want to listen to you. Peter says when you explain to people, do it with a clear conscience. And do it in a way that nobody can, nobody can criticize you for it. He says that our approach has to be above reproach. How do you like that? Your approach has to be above reproach. That means the, the way your, your life witnesses and is a testimony to Jesus should be where anybody would look, anybody who tries to criticize you or come against you will look silly. He says they, they should look, your life should be in such a way and your testimony should be covered with the grace and the kindness of Jesus so much that if anybody tries to come against you or, or, or criticize you, that even the rest of the world will look at them and go, how could you treat them that way? They were one of the nicest, most gracious people ever. How in the world could you be mean to them like that? Look at verse 17. So he's beginning to wrap it up. And he says, Remember, it is better to suffer for doing good, if that is what God wants, than to suffer for doing wrong. Because here's the truth. Jesus has told us, Peter has told us, you're going to suffer. And if we're walking around thinking that our Christian life that we can figure out a way to live for God and not go through struggles and suffering, then we're fooling ourselves. Jesus promised it. He says, you're going to suffer. But he says, it's better to suffer for doing good than for doing wrong. Because our lives have been bought with the blood of Christ, there should be no greater desire in us than to please him. Because that's, that's where we get messed up is our desire to please the world becomes greater than our desire to please God. One of the biggest desires that we have as human beings, any psychologist will tell you, is the desire to avoid pain. 
We will do crazy things as human beings to try to avoid any kind of pain in our life. And Peter says that suffering is painful no matter what. So, if you're going to experience trouble and suffering in your life, it's better for it to have a purpose. It's better for your suffering that you will endure, that Jesus said you will endure, to be for a purpose. If you're going to suffer, by all means suffer for God. Do things that are pleasing to Him. Because He's promised a reward for that. He says it's way better to suffer in obedience to Christ and be rewarded than to suffer for doing the wrong thing all the time. To suffer from disobedience. And I I almost hear Peter say, who else do you want to please other than God? The ruler, creator, king of the universe. But I'll disobey him to make people happy? And I'm probably going to suffer for making people happy all the time anyway. Because what people want me to do is probably going to get me in trouble. So Peter says if you're going to suffer for making people happy and you're going to suffer for making God happy, it's a no-brainer. Please Him. If you're going to suffer, do it, do it for Jesus because at least there's going to be something in the end that it's going to count for. It's going to count for something. And there's going to be a reward at the end for it. So it's a, it's, it's an, it should be an easy choice. So we're going to experience trouble. But Peter gives us advice in here about how that faithfulness to doing what is right and staying faithful to Jesus even in the midst of trouble has a far greater reward. But you may be thinking... Eric, okay, I get that. I understand everything you're saying. I'm good with that. But it doesn't change the fact that it's still not fair. Like maybe you're, maybe you're in the midst of a situation like that right now. Where you're, you actually feel like you're being persecuted because you're a believer. And you think, I understand, I understand everything you just said and I get it. But it doesn't change the fact that it's not fair, and I can't understand why it's not fair. It's not fair that I should be dealing with what I'm dealing with when I'm trying to do the right thing. And my response to you is, you are absolutely right. It's not fair. It is absolutely not fair, and I'm not going to tell you that it is. But this is what I want to tell you. No, it's completely not fair. But that is what makes grace so beautiful. Because the grace of God makes our lives completely not fair. you're thinking, I don't, I don't get it. What are you saying? Look at verse 18, the very last verse in the passage. Christ suffered for our sins, 
once for all time. He never sinned. But he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death. But he was raised to life in the spirit. It's easy to get selfish and complain to other people. To complain to God that I'm trying to live for God and it's just not fair. But I want to challenge you to change the way you think. You're right, it's completely not fair. But part of the reason it's not fair is because of grace. Because if the Christian life was fair, we would be required to pay the penalty for every sin and law of God that we've ever broken. That's fair. Grace makes my life unfair. If the Christian life was fair, God would base his judgment of us on our ability to be good enough to keep his commandments. But grace makes our lives unfair. And if the Christian life was fair, Jesus would have allowed us to pay the wages of our own sin rather than dying as if they were his. That would be fair. But grace makes our lives completely and totally not fair. So we are people who live in a world that is unfair. But we are also a people who have been birthed into a kingdom that is also completely unfair. And there is nothing in the world that we should be more grateful to God for. 